0: living life in gospel-centered community. And you're going to hear that phrase come out of my mouth a lot this morning, gospel-centered community. And what does does that mean? What does it mean to be gospel-centered? I I want to say before we get into that part of the message, talk a a bit about actually what this gospel is, because it's it's a, a word that that can be a, a religious word, and it's a word that can be misunderstood, and, and what I mean to communicate when I say gospel may not be what you hear when I say gospel. So I want to be very clear about what I mean when I say the gospel. When I use the term gospel, I mean this. We are more sinful than we know, and we are more loved and accepted than we hope. All right? I'll get into some more of the details about that, but at the a, a big banner over what I mean by the gospel is we are more sinful than we know and we are more loved and accepted than we hope and that kind of shakes out uh, many different ways Romans 5 8 calls us that we were still sinners even while we were still sinners Christ died for us and and proved and demonstrated his love in that while we were sinners he died for us and that proved demonstrates is is placed his love within our reach so while we were still repulsive to God he placed his love within our reach later on in Romans it says that and we were dead in our sins, but Christ has made us alive. It's all throughout lots of scripture in Romans and in Galatians and in Ephesians. It, it, it specifically talks about what this gospel is. And, and we seek as a church and we seek as individuals to live gospel-centered lives. And we'll talk this morning about what it means to be a gospel-centered parent. But bigger than that, the gospel needs to shape And inform everything that we do from the way we we operate at work, from the way we are a neighbor, from the way we are as a child uh, to our parents and the way we parent our kids and the way we, we are to our brothers and our sisters and our friends and our cousins and our family and how we operate within a church has to be informed by this gospel. And the gospel, in short, is we are more sinful than we know, and we're more loved and accepted than we hope. So this idea of, of the gospel is more than just a ticket to heaven. It's, it shapes our obedience. Our obedience rises out of an understanding of the gospel. It rises out of this understanding of the acceptance. And our acceptance is not, isn't the thing that we gain by our obedience. Our acceptance is what we do because of are obese, because of of what he has done to us so because of that we are still controlled by by our sinful cravings by our sinful nature but we live in a fallen world where sin exists and so because of that we have to have this gospel preached to our lives over and over and over and over again And we'll see that in deuteronomy as we get there so uh i, I want us to to talk this morning about gospel-centered parenting so let's uh I want to make two quick and and very specific points before we get into to Deuteronomy. First is that we are in need of the gospel in our lives, and so are our children. Say that again, and it's on the screen. We are in need of the gospel in our lives, and so are our children. God has given us gifts all over the place. Our, the money that we have, the friends that we have, the family that we have, the church that we have, and specifically the children that we have, and we are stewards of, of those children, and foremost in that is that we are, have this understanding that, that they need the gospel, but more than that, in every aspect of your lives, I, I said that the gospel should penetrate everything that we do, and, and here, here's the example, we need to have the gospel penetrate who we are so that we can be effective with the gospel for those that we've been given to be effective with it. So we are in need of the gospel, and so are our children. We're not just teaching our children about the gospel. We are also teaching them that we need the gospel. And this happens in every aspect of your life. I want to stop and, and think through that concept. As we proclaim the gospel to the world the best way that we can proclaim the gospel to the world to our kids to our family to our neighbors is not just that you need the gospel but that i need the gospel as much or more as you do because we are all more sinful than we know and we are all more loved and accepted than we hope that's the the preaching of this gospel so uh the second thing is we are in continual Need, we are in need of continual and redundant application of the gospel a lot of times uh we think of this term redundancy as a bad thing we don't ever want to be redundant but when we're talking about the gospel and its application to our lives, redundancy is a very good thing and we'll see that when we when we get into the the passage in Deuteronomy six how uh the 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 writer is is specifically speaking directly to us and uses four verses that say over and over and over again that we are to beat this understanding of the gospel into our heads so moses is the author of deuteronomy and uh there's going to be a, a quote on the screen uh, from the uh uh <clears throat> from the esv study bible and it it talks about uh the purpose and and reason for Deuteronomy and and it it gives its application first it says this Deuteronomy is largely a sermon or a set of sermons preached by Moses to all of Israel before his death and not long before the conquest of the land under the leadership of Joshua it is a motivational sermon urging Israel's faithful obedience to the covenant laws of Sinai given 40 years previously and I I bring that in front of us to to see this is Many times we look at the Old Testament separate from the New Testament, but ultimately what the Old Testament is, is a a big giant arrow pointing towards Christ. The the Ten Commandments that he's talking about here, the law, the covenant laws given on Sinai 40 years before Moses writes this, this series of sermons that we call Deuteronomy, 40 years previous to that, he brought the law, and the law's purpose was to be a big giant arrow pointing towards Christ. And that is uh, another definition of, of the gospel. When we see that we cannot meet the demands of the law, we need help to meet the demands of the law, and we need help for someone to do it for us. And so we are saved by grace through faith, not by the keeping of the law. The job of the law, the reason the law exists is to, to make us aware of our need. I have a voice right now that's struggling, which means I'm in need of of uh, of amplification, and it's also, I'm in need of water. My voice is a manifestation of me being aware of my need. The law's reason for existence is to make us aware of our need. We are inadequate, and without the law, we don't see that we are inadequate, and so that's how the law becomes this big, giant arrow pointing towards Christ, pointing towards, yes, you are in need of a Savior, and this is him. So let's get into uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll we'll dig into this just just a little bit and then uh, bring forth some some application for us. But before I do that, I'm going to grab some water. When I placed that water over there, I didn't know I was going to be on a leash. So I'll set it on the stool. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Starting in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He starts off this portion of this sermon with a proclamation of worship. You are God, keep us. You are God, and you are alone, our God, and we give ourselves completely to you. When he makes this statement, you, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is God being one. It's a proclamation of worship to him. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You might remember Christ saying this is the first and greatest commandment. This is the first and greatest commandment. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And it's also obvious to us here. I said at the beginning, we are more sinful than we know, and we are more loved and accepted than we hope. This verse points out our desperate need for the gospel because the first and greatest commandment we are failures. We don't always love the Lord our God with all our heart with all our soul and with all our might. We choose self constantly and we don't give ourselves completely to God. We don't love our love our God with everything that we are and so the first and greatest commandment and as here as Moses is pointing this out we fail in this first and greatest commandment which makes us aware of our need. Again, the big giant arrow pointing towards our need for a savior, for Christ. So he's laying out the gospel here, and then he commands us to bang it into our heads with these next four verses, starting with verse six. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. When he says these words shall be on your heart, he's saying put them in the very core of who you are. Put them deep into who you are. Allow them to penetrate deeply. Imagine a a gardener, and he, he was not gonna garden on rocky soil. He's gonna and he's gonna put the his plant deep into the soil and God here, Moses here is is trying to get into our minds that we are to have this gospel penetrate deep into our hearts. These commands that I'm giving you, have them be penetrating deep into the core of who you are. Then uh verse seven, you shall teach them diligently. Diligent is a word, it's it's Speaks of focus, speaks of intentionality, speaks of effort. If we are diligent, we have focus in our teaching, we have intentionalness in our teaching, and we have effort in our teaching. So that, don't pass by this word diligent. It's a command for us. This is how we are to teach our children to be diligent in it. <clears throat> and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Paul here, or Moses here, is speaking specifically, and and he gives two instances, two opposites. Sit and walk and lie and rise. What he's communicating here is there is never, ever a time in your life when the gospel is not being preached to your heart and to the hearts of those around you. When you sit and when you walk, when you lie and when you rise— in every circumstance, in every facet of every piece of our lives, we are to be applying this gospel that, that we cannot love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And it's a big arrow pointing towards our need for Christ. And be reminded of that all the time. And not just pointing to an arrow pointing to our need for Christ, but also an arrow pointing to, yes, it's here, it's available. We give ourselves over to you completely. And, and, and I, you are fully and wonderfully accepted. The gospel is two parts, our sin and our acceptance. And this is pointing that big, giant arrow towards Christ. Then, verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. In other words, make them a part of who you are. Put them ever in your mind. I want to be very practical here for a second because we are to remind ourselves continually and completely of the gospel. All the time over and over and over again and here he's saying put physical reminders in place around your life Here are some things that I have found that are helpful to me and successful To me to help me to apply the gospel to my life on a continual basis in every aspect in the way I'm a husband to my wife in the way i'm a parent to my children in a way that that I'm a a pastor to this congregation in a way that I, I connect with my neighbors This is how I do it. And here's some practical examples to put this gospel always and ever in front of you and allow it to, to go deep into the core of who you are. First notes, just write notes to yourself, put them on the mirror, put them on the car, put them in, in, in conspicuous places, reminders of the gospel. For me, it's that I'm more sinful than I knew and I'm more loved and accepted. And I hope I write that and put it down. I, I write it all over my journal. I write it everywhere so that I can remember these things and, uh, by grace, you are saved through faith ephesians seven and eight ephesians two seven and eight is is a pretty is another great example for us to something that we can write down and remember and see these notes that we have and the second thing is accountability. Uh, we have to have people that look deep into our lives and have permission and I, I use that word very specifically have given. Permission to look into our lives and speak into our lives because we are a proud and private people That's who we are as Americans. We that's one of the things that we have to beat on constantly Is our pride and our privacy because we are those things we tend to keep people at arm's length And so it's imperative for us as we preach the gospel to every aspect of our lives to give permission to specific people to sit down very specifically and say, Eric, I give you permission to look deeply into my life. Eric, I give you permission to call out sin in my life. I give you permission to see the gospel is not penetrating the way you're loving your wife in the last couple of weeks. Attack it. You give very specific permission to people within your life that you love, you trust, and you respect to speak into your life and look into your life. It's vital. And accountability within a a church context often looks like, um. Yeah, I yelled at my wife, and I struggled with uh, lust this week, and uh, um, I didn't do quiet time. That's what that, that's what passes for accountability inside the church, and that's that's nonsense. That's not accountability. We need to be giving permission to speak real and speak open and speak honest into our lives and more than just one person, more than just one perspective. And this is how we allow the gospel to attack who we are. Not just Dave and Danielle as parents, but all of us as we walk through this life. Third is to journal. Write down ways where God showed the gospel to you. Um... This is for some reason women are more likely to gospel to to journal than men are, which is stupid. Men, rise up, be a man. Journal your thoughts. Journal what God has done to you and with you. Then, fourth is to read scripture. Three chapters in scripture, if I've seen, are beautiful representations of the gospel. I want to give them to you now to read over and over and over and over again. Maybe even memorize them. First. Ephesians chapter 2, especially the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. It's the gospel in 10 verses, and it's beautiful. And you do well to read that every morning. You do well to read that every night before you go to bed. You do well to memorize that. Next one is Romans chapter 5. Specifically, the first eight verses of Romans chapter 5 are are beautiful presentations of the gospel for us to read and to continually beat this thing into our heads. And then lastly is Galatians 3. Ephesians 2, Romans 5, Galatians 3, all great examples for us to be reading Scripture into our lives and reading Scripture even over our wives, even over our spouses, over our children, reading these passages of Scripture that really present the gospel in very specific and very real ways. And then the next thing is to memorize Scripture. You would do well to memorize all three of those chapters and be have this gospel penetrating your heart deeply and budding like a flower in your life so that it can bring joy and glory and honor to Christ. Then the last thing is have conversations. I think one of the the beautiful things about our church is that we have a lot of people who are are very in in pretty deep relationship with each other and have most evenings, you'll find somebody in this church in somebody else's home having dinner or doing something, hanging out together. But I'm, I i want to lead us towards this, to begin to not just have meals together, not just live life together, but to have very specific, very intentional, gospel-centered conversations with each other. We need to be having conversations about the gospel. Hey, man, this is where where Christ took me this week. This is where I was made aware of my sin, and I was... Bogged down, and I was hurt with it. And then God brought this into my life to remind me of His beautiful love and acceptance of me. And have those very specific conversations with people where the gospel is penetrating deep into our lives. So those are the the, the very practical ways for us to physically remind ourselves of the gospel and the availability of the gospel. Go back and read uh, Deuteronomy six, eight, and nine again. And, and see here how Moses is, is very specifically telling us to beat this thing into our heads here. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Have them on your hand and have them on your forehead. Bring, put them in front of you. Bang this in your head over and over and over again. Then verse 9, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. It's important for us to be continually always reminded of the gospel. So, let's transition a little bit into what it means to be a parent, how it means to 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 be a gospel-centered parent. And again, if you are not a parent, if you don't have any intention of being a parent anytime soon or whatever, first of all, you're here at this service and God has ordained that and we are to we're going to connect here in just a minute with Dave and Danielle and make pledges to them to to covenant with them to help them raise their children in a gospel-centered way. But these ideas of being gospel-centered and it attacking our lives can be applied to any aspect of our lives. Everybody here is uh, a child. Everybody here has parents. Some of us have brothers and sisters. Some of us have children. All of us have friends. All of us live in communities. These are ways for the, the, the gospel to begin to penetrate into our lives. The first thing, our children are a gift given to steward. I want to say this very specifically. The best thing that we can do for our children is to instill the gospel in them. But what does that look like? What what can we do? <clears throat> how do we how do we do this? We do this by understanding this. The future version of them, our children, is more important than than the current version. The future version of our children is more important than the current version. I've got a daughter in this room and I've got three kids back there. I'm not as concerned with how they are today as I am with how they are as a 25-year-old. And we need to be continually, always preaching the gospel, living the gospel, being the gospel In their lives because the future version of them is more important than the current version of them. And when we understand this, we know that momentary issues with obedience, momentary issues with rebellion, momentary issues with those things are just opportunities that we can use to seize to preach the gospel to them. Yes, you broke a rule of our house, but no, that does not take away my love and acceptance of you. Do you see how we preach the gospel to them when we understand this concept that the future version of them is more important than the current version of them? Because after all, they're living in a sinful world where sin affects them. And this is a fallen place where fallen people rub up against each other and make it worse. So they are incapable of not sinning, just like you and I are. The future version of them is more important than the current. The second thing. The gospel shapes the way we speak, punish, and reward them. Let that one sit there for a second. The gospel shapes the way we speak, punish, and reward our children. Punishment and reward for punishment and reward's sake is religion and doesn't need to be a part of how you you parent your children. They have to have a purpose, they have to have a direction. Therefore, we must speak the gospel to them even when we think that they don't understand. I have a five-year-old daughter named Mia, and she, when I, when I go and I speak the gospel to her, she's, it's way over her head. But their ability to, to, to soak in phrases that I speak to them, the, the ability of, of the gospel itself to penetrate deep into her heart, it's powerful. We need to be speaking this to them regardless. And more than that, when I speak the gospel into Mia's life for times where, where she is in need of it, as I'm speaking it, I'm formulating it deeper. I'm pressing it deeper into the core of who I am when I'm preaching the gospel to her. Do, do you see that? When we preach the gospel, we're pushing it deeper into the fabric of who we are. Third, they can learn very practical applications of grace. This is not just grace that saves, but grace that provides gifts. Brianna's sitting right there. She's 18. Her job in our house is to do dishes. She hates to do dishes. One of the things that I can do for her to say, look, I'm going to give you something that you don't deserve it. And and I don't expect anything for my doing this, but I'm going to do the dishes for you. That's a very practical application of giving grace. And a lot of times we hear grace and we start to sing "Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me." But grace is more than just our ticket to heaven. Grace is more than just our salvation. Grace are very practical things in our lives that that are gifts that God has given to us. And Gifts that we are given that we do not deserve that don't come with an expectation. If you're a parent here and you've ever given a, a gift to your child, they really, really love and really adore. You, you know what I'm talking about when I say a gift given without expectation. I'm not giving you this so that you will behave. I'm not giving you this so that you will do something that I want you to do. I'm giving this to you because I love you, and I want to see you be happy. I want to see your heart fulfilled. And when we do that, we're preaching the gospel even to our own hearts. And we, we connect with who God is and how he views us when we love our children in this grace gift sort of way. Also, not just our children are a gift of steward, but here as a church, we are in this together. This church, we, we make proclamations that we are a gospel-centered community, and if you're a gospel-centered community, you share responsibility of life with each other. We've got a lot of guests with us today, and who part of, of who we are is this idea of a gospel-centered community, and that means every Aspect of our lives is shared. The responsibility of our lives is shared. The the joys of our lives are shared. The tragedies of our life is shared. Everything that we do is shared together because God called us and equipped us and designed us to live in this deep abiding community. So as a church, we are here in this together. And here's where we kind of transition specifically to Tobin and to Dave and Danielle. We are in this together. First, we are here to care for Tobin. And that looks very practical like we babysit. That looks very practical like we go and serve in the children's ministries. And and not just with the, the older kids who we can teach Bible school lessons to, but with the younger kids that we can pray over them and we can speak the gospel over them. We can sing over them in the nursery. If you have a child back there, that's what's happening. Even if they... Don't understand the English language yet. They're being prayed over. They're being cared for, and we can nurture and care for Tobin this morning. And I'm gonna call us to that here in a second. We can uh, share ways, share life with Dave and Danielle, and and communicate to them how the gospel has shaped and molded our lives. We care for this particular child. We also invest in parents in the same way that we care for these children. We also invest. In these parents, by babysitting, by praying, by encouraging the parents, and, and other ways that God has shaped and molded you. Do we? I, I I've I've got great people around my life that that are very intentional about. Hey, I'm going to take your kids tonight so that you got you and your wife can go and connect with each other and and love each other so that that can. Outflow into your church that can Outflow into your children and as we Encourage and care for Dave and Danielle we take Tobin and we take Mikhail and say go And be and they're they're part of great families To do that for them all the time but it's Important for us to be doing That to invest in these parents And then lastly and this would be what The rest of the service is about is that we We covenant together We covenant together With Dave and Danielle so I want to call Dave uh, and, and Danielle Uh, up here uh so come on up guys and they're bringing mikhail up as well for those of you don't know mikhail is is their uh their oldest child and she is fantastic she is a bundle of energy right danielle (laughs) excellent uh if you've never been a part of, of one of our baby dedication services, the rest of the service is going to look maybe a little bit different than a, than a typical baby dedication service. Very similar to a wedding, because I want us to, to really look specifically and, and really make a lasting impact. And you have, uh, I gave you when you came in, a card with, with Tobin's picture on it. And on the back side is the covenant that Dave and Danielle will be making together to God in front of us. And then the covenant that I'm going to ask you to make to them and to each other as we walk through this. So this is a, a very important piece of, of what's happening here today. And a very important piece of what it means to be a gospel-centered community. So it's a, it's, this is a, a, a pretty big deal. So as, as we, uh, before we do that, let me, let me pray for us. God, I thank you for the gift of this life, Father. And I thank you for how you've shown this very practical child and and given us this child and given us this morning so that we can be reminded of the need for the gospel to penetrate every aspect of our lives, Father. I pray now as we watch Dave and Danielle make covenants together and promises to you that, uh, that we would be reminded of these covenants and these promises more than just this morning, Father. And I I pray for for these people as they make pledges to to Dave and Danielle and to you to pray for, to encourage, to surround with the gospel, Tobin. I I pray that we would be uh, reminded constantly of, of our proclamation that we've made to you this morning. I thank you for Jesus in his name. Uh, so, Dave and Danielle, I am going to ask you a few questions. Will you promise to God and this church community to live gospel-transformed lives before Tobin? Will you promise to discipline him and show him grace? Will you instruct him by word and example in the truth of God's word and in a way of salvation through Jesus Christ? Will you promise to pray for him and to teach him to pray? If so, say we will with God's help. Now I want to direct our attention to to you guys if the the community's call to covenant if all who are here are invited there i know there's there 's guests here and some that, that don 't know the Koontz's very well, feel free to to remain seated but if if you would like to to covenant with with dave and danielle to with the raising of tobin i 'd like to ask you to, to stand at this time. <clears throat> North Church and family, will you promise in the presence of God and one another to live gospel-transformed lives before Tobin and to pray that he will turn and be transformed by the gospel? Will you love and pray for Tobin, encouraging him and helping to nurture him in the faith? Will you assist Dave and Danielle in fulfilling their biblical responsibilities, holding them accountable by confronting sin, praying for them, and to spur them on toward love and good deeds? If so, will you please read the following along with me? With joy and thanksgiving, as Christ Church, with God's help, we promise to love, encourage, and support you as you follow Christ and parent your kids. Thank you. You can be seated. We have just covenanted together with Dave and Danielle to do these things before them. And we gave you that that beautiful document that, that we have to place into your Bible, to put it in a conspicuous place that you will see over and over and over again to remind yourself of this covenant that you've made. Because this is... This is a, a beautiful, wonderful gift of God that he has given Dave and Danielle charge to steward and direct towards the gospel. And when we do church right, when we live, and when I say do church, I'm not talking about North Church. When we do church global correctly, we are, are doing more than just showing up on a Sunday morning and or or being together on a Wednesday night or whatever it is. We're doing more than that. We are covenanting together to live up close, and real, communing, abiding relationships, not only with God, but with each other. So as we, we have just made this covenant, I want us to be reminded and, and burn this image into your brain that we have covenanted together with Dave and Danielle and with Mikhail to raise and direct and guide Tobin in the gospel, because the gospel is what we need to penetrate our hearts, and the gospel is what is needed to penetrate this culture. So let me, let me pray for us, and then we'll enter into our response time. God, I thank you for every soul that's in this place, Father. I pray that your gospel has been on full display all morning, but specifically as you watch this beautiful young family who has lots of life ahead of them, Father, as, you, as we have gotten to, to see the image of them dedicating their lives to the raising of this child. Father, I pray that these images would be burned into our brains. I pray that this covenant that we've made together today with them and with you, Father, would stay with us more than just for the next few days or the next few weeks, Father, but for a lifetime. And God, I pray for moments in 20 years from now when we get to see Tobin as he goes off to college or or he he enters into to to manhood, Father. I, I pray that we would be able to, to speak the gospel into his life and say there was a time when you were just a tiny baby that, that we made a covenant to, to direct you to the gospel and we would see how you shaped him, Father. God, I pray now not just for Tobin and for Mikhail and for Dave and Danielle and, and their parents and brothers and sisters that are here, Father. I pray for each of us God, that we would see how the gospel impacts every aspect of our lives, Father. And we've seen a very real, very tangible application of that, Father. That we would rise from this place having encountered you and having encountered your gospel. And that might filter down and inform how we live our lives. How we are as parents. How we are as children. How we are as siblings, how we are as neighbors and co-workers, church members. God, would the gospel root deep into our lives. We thank you so much for Christ. Thank you for all that he is and all that he's done. And it's in his perfect name. Amen.